the rise of GLP-1 agonists, a class of medication used in the treatment of diabetes and obesity, has been a hotly debated topic amongst the medical and investment fraternities. In this episode, Damon Callahan sits down with Andrew Dale to discuss the potential impacts GLP-1s harbour for the healthcare sector, the extent to which GLP-1s can deliver on market expectations, and one quality Australian company that we think has been disproportionately discounted in response to the release of drugs such as Ozempic and Monjaro. Here's the conversation with Damon and Andrew. Thanks for your time, Andrew. Maybe we could just start with a brief history of GLP-1s and how they've evolved. Yeah, look, thanks for having me, Damon. And It is definitely a topic that has been out in the market, weighed heavily on a number of stocks within the healthcare space. And, and it's important to just take a step back and have a look at how did GLP-1s actually come about. And really, when you look at GLP-1s, they're not, not a new thing. They've been around for quite some time, probably almost close to 10 years. But they were actually developed more to, to help in the treatment of diabetes, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Now, just a reminder for those that, that are not familiar with diabetes, type 1 is hereditary diabetes. Type 2 um, is generally caused through poor diet, poor eating, poor health, etc. And really with diabetes, what you're trying to control is the variability in blood, blood sugar levels. Now, one way of doing that is um, restricting your diet or trying to create a scenario where insulin is created at a more common rate. And GLP-1s were brought in with exactly that in mind. They were used as a, a medication for diabetes sufferers. They were typically injected once a week, and they helped to regulate the um, appetite of the patient, which then meant that the insulin production was somewhat tricked into production when they were eating less. Now, one of the results of taking these GLP-1s was also the fact that obviously as a, a patient ate less, they started to lose weight. And this had positive effects for, for not only diabetes, but started to have positive effects for obesity and also patients that were potentially suffering cardiovascular disease. So, so that's really the history of this drug. And um, as we know, it's gone on to, to capture the attention more so in recent times in the, in the obesity market. So have there been any studies that show how effective they are at managing patient weight? Look, there have been many studies over the years, and increasingly these studies are focused on the obesity sector. And, and, and I want to point out one thing quickly to, to people is that studies in these sorts of drugs are obviously very important, uh, but they're also under extremely controlled situations. So when someone is put into a GLP-1 study, they're monitored, they're sort of coached through some of the side effects, they're, they're, they check in regularly to ensure that they're taking the drug, they are constantly being monitored, and as a result, when we get the results from those studies, they're almost like best case scenarios for the usage of the drugs. Now, what we have seen through these studies over the past few years is that a number of the producers of, of the drug have, have seen substantial or material weight losses in the vicinity of 10 to 20%. And more recently, there are a number of studies that are coming out um, over the next few months or quarters that are expected to show even larger weight loss um, outcomes. But remember, assuming the patient is taking the drug consistently and also modifying their habits and lifestyle. 
If you're thinking about widespread adoption of these drugs for patients that would need them, can, can you talk about some of the barriers of usage? So side effects, costs of treatment and the like? Yeah, look, there, there are clearly some barriers to entry for the usage of these drugs. And I think the, the first thing to discuss is really the cost associated with taking them. All healthcare these days has to be taken into account in terms of the cost to not only the patient, but more importantly, the insurer. And when it comes to these GLP-1 drugs, on average right now, and this is before we get a whole lot of new drugs coming to market, the cost for an average user is around $1,000 per month. Now, when you start taking these drugs, there's no defined period for how long that will take. It could take years. And, and in actual fact, there's suggestions from many that you know you may well be on these drugs for 10, 20, 30 years. So we're talking $1,000 a month. So clearly, um, the vast majority of people cannot afford that. Uh, we do think prices will come down over time as more product comes to market, competition increases. We do also think that insurers will actually come into the market at some point and, and help to subsidize the usage of these products, um, particularly because of the, the positive benefits from um, reducing obesity on other illnesses such as diabetes, cardiovascular, et cetera. So, so even though it's a big barrier to entry now, uh, it, it should reduce over time. Probably the other barrier to entry that, that needs to be thought about is the side effects. Yes, as you point out, there are side effects most commonly relate to digestive style problems, i.e. diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. There's some suggestions that, you know, on average, people, about 30% of people suffer nausea, about 10 to 15% of people have vomiting issues, 20 to 30% of people have diarrhea. Again, these are all issues that over time start to work through the system, but they're clearly barriers. And I think pr probably the biggest barrier to, to, to the usage of these drugs is just people's general um, application or lifestyle. So we've all had friends or people we know or even ourselves that have dieted or tried to change their lifestyle, whether it be exercise, et cetera. But invariably, it's very challenging for people to continue on these programs. And we've all, all had friends that have lost you know, 10, 20, 30 kilos and you see them the next time around and, and they put some of that weight back on. So th these lifestyle changes will be the biggest barrier to entry for GLP-1 success. And I think this is where people need to start factoring in that over the history of time, it's always been very challenging for people to change their lifestyles um, materially. So there's been a lot of noise in the markets around how GLP-1s will impact ResMed in particular, which serves sleep apnea. Can can you just talk through you know, what your views are at this point in time around how ResMed might be affected? Yeah, look, ResMed is the provider of CPAP machines and masks for people that suffer from sleep apnea. Now, we all know that sleep apnea is um, quite a common illness or, or disease. It is uh, very highly correlated to obesity. So something like 60 to 70% of patients that have sleep apnea are also obese. You have to then splice that into sort of what we call obese and severely obese. And, you know, there are a huge number of people that are severely obese. GLP-1s are designed to come in and help reduce the occurrence of 
obesity or more importantly, reduce the level of obesity. So many people that will take GLP-1s will still be categorically or um, on a definition or, or body mass index considered obese. However, they will fall down that body mass index. Now, ResMed, when looking at that company, they sell into this market, which is largely defined by the number of people that are obese, frankly. So if you do see a reduction in the number of people that are obese in North America or globally, one should naturally assume that the the, the sort of the TAM or the market that they're going for will reduce over time. Now, I think it's it's fair to assume um, some reduction, but we're still very early on in, in understanding the longer-term implications of these drugs, as well as the longer-term benefits or impacts to the obese population. So the, the rough rule of thumb right now is that the TAM on a long-term basis may reduce by around 10 to 15%. Remember, all these other factors in play, who's going to pay for the drugs, Will people take them consistently? Will the results be better? And all the expert calls I've been doing in recent weeks point to the fact that people on GLP-1s right now, even though they do see good weight loss outcomes, there have been virtually no people that have come off CPAP therapy for their sleep apnea. So in my view, it'll end up being more of a a combination therapy. You'll have CPAP and you'll also be taking GLP-1s to hopefully get a better outcome. So could you sum up then on ResMed, just where is your investment thesis on that company today and, and how have you taken the the rise and potential impacts of GLP-1s into account? Yeah, look, when these events occur for any stock, it really does make you go back and question the original investment thesis. And we've spent a lot of time doing that, reviewing the numbers, reviewing the modeling, speaking with experts, speaking to the company, speaking to competitors, et cetera. And, and really the summary of all that is the investment thesis for ResMed is still very much intact. They are uh, currently around 80 to 90% market share within the CPAP market. They're about a 50% market share in the mask market. They have a superior product and superior supporting software, et cetera. They are still selling what is really the only 100% um, effective treatment for sleep apnea, which is a, a CPAP when adhered to or compliance rates are 100%, it is almost a, a 100% treatment. So, so they're, they're a cutting-edge, leading R&D company selling products into that market. We think that ResMed will continue to grow its CPAP sales at, at high single digits over the next five to 10 years, and, and that is our assumption. We also believe that after this period of, of higher cost cycling that they're, they're going through, They'll be able to get their gross margins back to sort of more historical levels, if not better. And frankly speaking, we think that the GLP-1 debate, which will continue over the next few months and quarters, will help in terms of reducing obesity in the market. But as I said before, it's going to be a tandem treatment. You will be taking GLP-1s, but before you take GLP-1s, you'll need to be on CPAP therapy to help with your sleep apnea because GLP-1s on average can take 52 weeks to 72 weeks to be effective. So patients need immediate treatment and that's where ResMed steps in. And that's why we think it's short, medium and long-term opportunities in the market are still very strong. If you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Active Investing, please don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember to read the disclaimer in the show notes. 
If you would like to learn more about ECP Asset Management and the way we think about investing, please visit our website at ecpam.com, subscribe to our blog, or follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you.